Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 444. My name is Minter Dial and I'm your host for this podcast, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. For more information or to check out other shows on the network, please visit evergreenpodcast.com. So this week's interview is with Sarah Shaw. Sarah's an entrepreneur, designer, and CEO of Entrepreneur, aka Sarah Shaw Consulting. Having started her career in the movie industry, Sarah's launched three fashion accessory companies and personally landed over 60 world-famous celebrities such as Jennifer Aniston, Angelina Jolie, and Oprah. She now helps entrepreneurs, particularly entrepreneurs as she calls them, specialize in helping solve practical and pragmatic problems and helping them to reach out to celebrities to get their products and services recognized. We discuss Sarah's approach, why and how female entrepreneurs can be different from their male counterparts. We look at some of her secret sauces and what it takes to work with influencers and celebrities with success. You'll find all the show notes on minterdial.com. Please do consider to drop in your rating and review, and don't forget to subscribe to catch all the future episodes. Now for the show with Sarah. Sarah Shaw, great to have you. Ask Sarah Shaw Consultancy, entrepreneur, woman in fashion, film or movie business, and certainly knowledgeable about so many celebrities. Um, it's lovely to have you on the show. In your own words, how would you like to describe yourself? Hey, thanks for having me. Lovely to talk to you. Um, I would describe myself as a consultant who loves to empower and help women take charge of their business. So as you are, you're an entrepreneur, you, you describe yourself as a third generation entrepreneur. Do you think entrepreneurship and especially entrepreneurs are genetically predisposed to continue? Oh, God, no, because I never thought ever growing up or even until I was about 33, I think, that I ever thought I would be an entrepreneur. I just thought I was going to, I worked in the film business after college, thought that I would just go through my entire life, take my retirement one day and, you know, ride off into the sunset. So you, you didn't do that because you didn't want to have your parents' life? Or, you know, in, other, in other words, they, they're, they're the life of working every 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You're like, God, no, that's not for me. Was that any part of it? So it could have been an anti-genetic or maybe an epigenetic uh, reaction? No, I don't think, I just think it never occurred to me. I mean, as a child, I had a babysitting business, essentially. That was really my only business as a kid, you know, one of my brothers repaired bicycles and then repaired cars. And my other brother didn't have any entrepreneurial aspirations either as a child. And all of us are entrepreneurs now and my sister as well. <laughs> um, and so it could be genetic and maybe I just missed that gene until I was in my early thirties. I don't know. You know, I mean, my dad was a psychiatrist, so he had his own practice and my parents um, had a, an institute that taught different kinds of therapy programs. So in a way, I didn't see him as an entrepreneur in such that, you know, he wasn't creating products or selling things, you know, whereas right. my, both my grandmothers were in the fashion industry and one died before I was born who I was named after, but the other one was in my life until I was, you know, probably in my early forties, she died at 98, but she had a clothing store and linen store in New York city on Madison Avenue. And so I did watch her sell products and, you know, go, I was her child model when she was, when I was little and she would come to San Francisco and I'd go with her to, you know, Neiman Marcus or something and she'd meet with the buyer and I'd try on all the clothes and she would sell them and so I really did get to see firsthand her working her business um, and had been to her store of course in New York many many times and you know saw the shipping department and the big you know machine that kicked kicked out the uh, brown paper tape with their name written on it you know and and so right now you only see that really on Amazon these days but it, so I did grow up seeing that, but I just was never inspired or thought, wow, this is the life for me. It just never occurred to me until I had an idea for a product. 
And you also had this idea of the entrepreneur, lovely word. Um, and obviously, the one of the funny things is that it's a French word, and and sometimes the French don't even know really what it is, or they certainly feel far removed from it. The idea of an entrepreneur is obviously about women or female entrepreneurs. And, and I was just trying to figure out, I, I studied women's studies at university. So I feel like I have uh, at least some academic knowledge. It was my minor at university. And uh, I was wondering what, what, what is the difficulty or what is the difference uh, when you're a female entrepreneur versus a male entrepreneur? I mean, is it, is, is it sort of the, you know, that's a man's thing and therefore that's the challenge, is it dominated by men? Are, are there characteristics about our personalities and the way we're fabricated or responsibilities in society? How do you, are, you know, organize or, or think about how female entrepreneurs are different? Mm, good question. So in my experience, I feel like a lot of women don't feel that they deserve things in the same way that men do. Men, I, it seems to me, and obviously I'm not one, but that they make a decision and say, hey, I'm going to do this and figure out the steps to, to take and feel empowered and like it's their right to have that. And I feel like women say, oh, I want to do this. I'm going to have to figure out how to do it. Or maybe some of them are stay home moms or have been at home for many years and have relied on their husbands for financial support and don't feel they can take any family money, right. And, and start a business on their own. Um, I've, I've heard those stories from a lot of women. So, so I think that uh, there's also a lot of women who haven't possibly been as educated as far as, you know, having a business degree or accounting or, you know, maybe they never took care of the family bills and paid, you know, paid the bills, right? You hear lots of stories of, well, you know, more older women now who say, you know, if their husband passes, they'll say, I never took care of the finances ever. So I don't even know how to write a check, you know, and it still happens today. And, and I just think that, women don't necessarily put themselves first, right? Especially if they're a mother, they put their kids and their family first. Um, and that building a business is, can become secondary and just not something that you can be equally aggressive about at times. I mean, if you're a young single woman and you have the, the impetus and the money to start a company, I think you can be if you have that drive but a lot of women just weren't taught as kids to have that drive. A lot of women were taught to find a husband and let them support you or go to college and get a degree and get your job and keep going, right? Don't, don't take risks. And I think mm. men are encouraged to take risks more often than, than women are. Um, just, you know, women I've interviewed over time, just casually or talked to, you know, I've just found that they're not encouraged to take risks in the same way. And I think that in order to be an entrepreneur, you really have to be able to dive into those risks, not foolishly, hopefully, <laughs> been there, done that myself, but more, you know, strategically, and especially in this day and age, when you can learn from coaches, consultants, the internet, blogs, you know, YouTube videos, right? I mean, like, I know women who have built a home just from YouTube videos, right? To me, right. that is like super badass, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I have a drill and a hammer, but I have no interest in building a home, you know, <laughs> I could build a little box, but it's, you know, that's just not where my brain is. But I think that women these days are becoming more empowered by what's out there and that the opportunities are just more vast these days, if you're willing to take advantage of it. Yeah, I mean, certainly entrepreneurialism has taken on a new enthusiasm and popularity. So even for men, if you will, the idea of working in big business, you know, like yawn, boredom. And it was my observation that while you're talking about that taking risks and uh, let's say servicing or serving others is maybe somehow more generalized things, you know, generalizations being what they are, what women do. I would see the same characteristics create the same types of problems in big business where there's a, and, and it's not meant to be horrible, but the imposter syndrome. Well, I can't do that yet. I've only done it four times. Whereas the man who's never done it, 
once says I can do it. Right. <laughs> yeah. And the same for the entrepreneur story. You know, I've, I could never do that. I don't know my finances or I've done, never done this. You were mentioning this. Side. And by the way, uh, the dial household, my wife does all the finances. Mm. <laughs> um, but uh, so the same. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Well, um, yeah. the same thing goes in big business as does in entrepreneurialism, because we can also talk about intrapreneurialism and the idea of taking risks and the the confidence that it takes to jump off the cliff into this abyss, the risk of failure and or putting yourself out there. And, and somehow I feel like it is a it is more of a genetic predisposition than it is a cultural predisposition. That's my suspicion because it's been there for so many thousands of years and i'm not trying to justify it or at least you know say it's a better thing but i feel like that's the real thing and therefore when you do your work where do you feel your impetus and, and where you need to do the most work is it building up confidence is it allowing them to assess risks better is it uh, giving them compensation on the style of things they need to do what how do you help where do you find the most need for help um, I kind of all over the place, really. I mean, I think there's good, you know, there's, there's good in teaching people the, to how to manage their finances or in the case of the, usually the clients I have who have products, a lot of them don't understand cash flow, right? And that can be <laughs> make or break it for a product-based company. Um, you know, I certainly didn't really know anything about that when I started my own company, and it really got me into financial trouble in the beginning, you know, and I was like, whoa, what does this mean? <laughs> you know, wait, don't you pay all this money up front and then it doesn't come for months? You know, how do you survive in between? Sure. So, so I think, you know, that, that it's, there is some confidence building that I work on with people. A lot of it is problem solving in the moment. Like I, I run this group coaching program and do two Zoom calls a week where the women can get on the calls and just ask me questions, right? It's kind of last minute, boom, boom. And I love that kind of coaching um, personally because it makes me think fast on my feet, but also it's coming from my instinct and my gut right then. And your experience as well. And my Exactly. I'm drawing on my experiences but at the same time, sometimes I have to troubleshoot something for someone right then and there, you know, and I'll be like, I'm not ignoring you. I'm just giving me a 30 seconds to think about this. Right. And, and then, you know, these, if you, for me, if I just can kind of sit with it for a minute, these ideas just come flooding or I draw on past experience. If it's something that's happened to me, which usually is, but, or usually has happened to me, but I, I really enjoy those, um, moments of having to think on my feet. I think I often think best on my feet when I don't have a lot of time to ponder something over and over again. Because for me, one of the hardest things that I learned as an entrepreneur in the beginning when I had my handbag company was trusting myself and knowing mm -hmm. and feeling like my instincts were actually the best for my company but I often would look for outside advice and say to myself, oh, well, they have a business degree from UCLA. They must be smarter than me. Or, you know, mm -hmm. my CPA has been around for 300 years and he actually knows the answer um, better than the person from UCLA. But who do I believe? Because they're, they're advising me. You know, it, it can get so confusing and overwhelming you know, or you talk to some big fancy consultant who you can't afford, but offers you some free advice, you know, and you're like, okay, but I'm a tiny company. I don't have, you know, a million dollars to spend on whatever it was they suggested, right? Because they're used to working with companies that are doing 20, 60 million, big whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and it's like, how do you take that kind of scrappy attitude and, and backbone and turn it into something that can be feel good to you, but also work to make more money. You know, I think there's a really fine line in helping people get from that fear, fear place of taking the next step to confidence, you know, if they're feeling short of cash or maybe cash isn't a problem, you know, or they're having too many sales, right? Sometimes I have gals with too many sales and they don't know how to handle it all. You know, what do I do? Oh my God. And everyone wants more stuff. And, you know, I, my manufacturers can't keep up. 
So let's talk about that. So it really runs the gamut from hearing about the, not, I don't really have any woe is me people, but people who are struggling to get to the next step to people who have exceeded their dreams and don't know how to manage the next steps of growth. So I do, I kind of find myself sort of jumping between the steps of, of all mm. of that with clients. Well, as I mean, like life as an entrepreneur is, is multi-hatted. And so I was just listening and I was thinking back about my interjection of experience. And I think that a one other characteristic that's interesting is this notion of sharing. And I think, I mean, obviously, let's say it's not exclusive this, but idea, but the idea of sharing, um, I would say, is is a typically a little bit more female uh, in general, uh, societal, and you agree. Secondly, actually, the notion of having experience, well, if, especially if you failed, is is learning. But so much of what we do, you, you can't have done it before. If it had been done before, well, the thing would exist already. So actually, the ability is based on a certain bank of experience, which maybe covers 80% of what you're doing, your ability to have that instinctual 20% extra, which you've never done before, but just to get it through. And the third comment, I want you to comment on this, is instinct. And it is there's an instinct risk averseness, there's that one. But there's also another instinct, and that's in touch with the gut. Mm-hmm. rather than in touch with the intellect or the academic learning. And I feel that's possibly more, just a more, of a predisposition for women. What do you think? Um, I totally agree. And I think that a lot of women push their instinct or gut down sometimes mm. when they feel that it's not being revered or accepted, you know, because I think what happens too is a lot of women will look to others for support. You know, as, as, as you mentioned, I agree that women are much more um, congenial. They want to ask their friends for advice or, Hey, I just bought this. Do you like it? You know? And whereas a man doesn't usually be like, Hey, I just got this new tie. What do you think? (laughs) Unless it's their wife. So I think with the instincts, you know, that you, in a way, have to be trained or cultivated to trust it, you know, in a play, in a safe place that says, hey, if your instinct is leading you down the wrong path, then you need some help, you know, figuring out why you're following the wrong path. But if your normal instinct is to take you down the healthy path, then why would you ignore that, right? And I think a lot of women, because they get advice from other people and are open to support and thoughts, you know, if you, if most women will find, this is kind of an interesting fact that if you decide to launch a business, let's say you come up with this idea, you know, Hey, here's my new cell phone case. This is revolutionizing the way we use cell phones or something. And you go show your friends and your family the usual instinct is for them to protect you from yourself and to say, what do you need to do that for? There's already this, there's already that. Have you done enough research? Have you looked on the internet? I mean, I'm sure there must be something like it, right? And and there'll be a lot of negativity around it. And then you find yourself trying to prove yourself to them. So I usually advise people to not go to their family and friends at first and go to more either entrepreneurial groups or strangers even, or your neighbor who you kind of know who does, isn't going to be trying to save you. And, and think about, you know, sometimes your family and friends will give you advice that you might just want to say, hey, thanks for sharing. And then maybe you'll go do the research and you'll find there are 40 things already like the thing, the, the cell phone case you came up with, and maybe you didn't do your due diligence. But if you've already done it and you're 100% sure it can be very um, sad for women, I think, or and very um, make you feel downtrodden, right? Disheartened. And disheartened, yes, when people put you down or don't support something that you have already put your heart into. And I think that if you know in your in your gut and in your instincts that this is going to be, you know, the next bread slicer, right? So I kind of use the bread slicer as a you know, 
be all to end all because it was one of the greatest inventions ever <laughs> back in the day, right? But um, so, so that you just need to trust, learn to trust yourself. And I think that that can be a real challenge for a lot, a lot of women out mm. there. And so that's one of the things, I mean, I know personally, I had to teach that to myself. And, you know, when I did follow other people's advice against my own instincts, you know, it was always a disaster. And I, and I did it over and over. And I was like, when am I going to learn, you know, and I kept thinking, well, these people know more than I do. And, but it doesn't just because someone may actually know more about that business or the business style or that aspect of the business or that one thing doesn't mean they know more about you and your brand. They may, you know, be able to, to guide you in the big picture, but when you're building, especially a product-based company or even a service-based company, I think you have to get really clear with yourself down to the nitty gritty, you know, what you stand for, what you know your customer wants, and just constantly serve that ideal customer, right? What does she or he want? You know, will they wear that latest trend? No, that's not my style. Okay, then I'm just going to let that go. I'm going to keep giving them what they come to me for, right? Um, like I've had people say, oh, you should teach people about, you know, working with investors and accounting and how to run a digital business. And I was like, but yeah, I know how to do all those things, but that's not my zone of genius. Like I don't get out of bed and go, woohoo, I want to teach that, right? I get out of bed and say, woohoo, I want to help people with their product problems, you know, and solve those kinds of things. And sure, maybe I could become known for those other things, but that doesn't make me get out of bed in the morning. And I don't want to get out of bed to do things that don't make me want to just go, woohoo, this is an awesome day, right? Welcome change agents to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts. It's so often, you know, you're dealing one deals with family, other other issues, pulling on our resources. And it's it's been my observation, men or women at some level different for women for sure that the the strength of knowing who you are what you stand for that becomes a, a lightning rod a decision making process and to the extent that it's tied into your instinct your gut then once that's firm it just everything else follows through but the hard part is actually especially when you're young knowing who you are and what you stand for and, and feeling the, mm -hmm. having the courage in a society that might cancel you or push you back and say, don't do that. There are a million of those having that connection into it. And then that becomes your backbone. Exactly. And I, I agree. It can be hard to get to that point. And I think the most successful entrepreneurs that I've ever met are extremely clear about that. Hmm. All right. So the, the more the, the, the more salacious stuff that I wanted to get into is all the same, sure. getting in touch with celebrities. So I feel like by talking to you, I'm talking to Jennifer Aniston. I'm just kidding. But um, <laughs> hello. So, hi, exactly. Um, influencers, the, the idea of influencers, celebrities, what do you think is a state of play now that we're near the end of 2021? And, and where do you want to pitch to influencers or celebrities or both? How, how do you decide where to put your investment, your of time sometimes, as well as resources? What's the state of play according to you, Sarah? Okay. 
So here's the two differences between celebrities and influencers. So gifting celebrities is free. You can just go to contactanycelebrity.com. You can find the information for the person you want to send a gift to or offer something to and write to their gatekeepers and say, hey, I want to send this to so-and-so because of these reasons. And usually they'll say yes. Sometimes I would say since COVID, there's been some celebrities that are not accepting gifts right now. Um, but you know, they're few and far between, but for the most part, they'll usually say, sure, send it here, you know, and we'll get it to them. And then you're going to hope and pray that they either send you a note or post it on Instagram or Facebook, um, which is most likely where they tend to hang out, um, and tag you. Uh, so there are, you know, I've had some clients recently who've had some pretty awesome posts on Instagram from celebrities. And so that's kind of the celebrity angle. So it's really only costing you the actual cost of your product. Whereas with influencers, most of them want money up front. So it can be anywhere from 250 to 250,000. <laughs> it could be more. But, you know, sort of the, you know, most of them, like, I would say, depending on what kind of products they're promoting, could be as low as even $50. You know, if it's just a, a quick Instagram story, um, usually the stories are cheaper because they don't, they're not permanent, right? Um, whereas a post can end up being more. Um, and, and really with influencers, I have a lot of um, thought about that. You want me to keep going? I do. Oh, <laughs> um, yes. So, I find with influencers that some of them are really up and coming in that they don't really know the business side of it. I think I should hold a, I should hold a webinar for influencers, but I don't have enough of them on my list. But what, what I think that they are missing for the most part, like they'll sometimes send, send you a, a media kit, right? That they've put together that shows you their statistics. You know, we have 2 million followers. On average, we get 1700 likes on our videos. And they do not mention the comments because if you have 2 million followers, for example, and you get 1,700 or even 4,000 likes on a video, but you get two comments, it's really easy to buy those 2 million people and to pay people to like your posts. So it's really hard to gauge what's real, in my opinion, if there's not a lot of commentary. So I would advise anyone to look at those statistics yourself, like maybe get their media kit, look it over, take it with a grain of salt, unless they have statistics on there that say, oh, you know, I posted for Mary Jane and she sells baby blankets and she sold $50,000, right? And you're thinking, wow, you want $5,000 for a post, but this chick sold 50,000. I'll do that every day. I would, <laughs> no. right? But if you then call Mary Jane, if there's no statistics like that, but you see the post on this influencer's Instagram, I would then personally contact Mary Jane and say, hey, saw that, you know, Susie influencer uh, uh, posted about you, it looked really awesome, your line's really cool, I make baby clothes and you make baby blankets, just wanted to see how it went for you. And if she won't tell you, that's a sign that it didn't do well. If she tells you and it was good, then jump on it. If she tells you it was bad, then you just saved yourself $5,000, <laughs> right? And, you know, she may tell you other things. I didn't sell that much, but I got 20,000 new followers and they're all, now I'm making money, right? So you kind of have to dig deep a little bit and see what happened with, with the person, right? Whereas with an A-list or B-list or even C-list celebrity, right? You can see from their Instagram, you know, again, they're not paying for followers. So they are actually most likely real followers and real commenters and real likers and all that stuff. But um, they may not have sold anything for the person, right? It's, you know, it may be an awesome post and they tagged you and said, thanks, this is so great. I love it. You know, and maybe you didn't sell one single thing. And, you know, but at the same time, when something like that happens, it's on you to promote the heck out of it, right? So let's say mm -hmm. someone does post on Instagram and tags you and is, I love this, thank you. And, you know, you need to go out to the media about it. You need to go out to your 
you know, online shoppers, right? Your e-com list that you have, you need to go out. If you're trying to sell wholesale, you need to get that out to the stores and all this needs to happen like that day or with within 24 hours. Cause old news is no news. And, Especially if it's a know, story. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, you know, and let's say you went out to five celebrities and they all loved your whatever, maybe you make some food or something and they all asked for more. Well, that's a story in itself, right? Or even if a celebrity asks for a second round of whatever you offered them, you know, so you want to think about how you can get enough info for a story so that you can promote the heck out of it and really try to make money on it on your own as well, right? Because sometimes people will say, oh, well, I got this picture of this celebrity, but I was too embarrassed to do anything about it. Like, oh my God, <laughs> right? You just totally, you know, wasted or possibly, you know, buried whatever. It could have been $500, could have been 5 million, who knows? So, you know, just in my own experience, when I had, have had celebrities with my own products, this was way before social media. So I didn't have that opportunity, but, you know, getting it to magazines, pitching it to stores, you know, printing it out and putting it in every box that goes out to a store or even your online, you know, e-com shoppers, right? When you ship something out, put in a little press page that shows how fabulous you are. So it's all about building credibility because there's so much noise out there, you know, and because everyone knows you can buy social media followers, to me, it's more about the interaction and the small uh, community that actually loves you, right? You know, if you have, if you have 50,000 followers, but only six people are, are commenting all the time on your posts, that's your tribe right there. Like find more people like those six people. So if the other people just may have found you through an ad or through, you know, I don't know, maybe you got into a magazine and they thought it was cool and they liked your page, but they never bought anything or you don't have a good funnel or you don't have a pop-up on your homepage getting their email address or, you know, so there's so many ways these days that you need to be present, right? Just besides the social media, besides the celebrities, besides influencers, right? That you have to promote yourself as well. So you kind of, have to become your own celebrity, I guess, in a way, right? And, and that you can hope to use these people to your advantage. And sometimes even, you know, a lot of celebrities weren't working for the last year or so. Mm. And influencers, you know, their businesses took a big dive because all the big, um, you know, uh, department stores and really big companies, you know, when COVID hit, were like, yeah, we don't need you anymore. And they all fell on their rear. And so a lot of them lowered their prices. They were willing to work with smaller companies. Um, they changed how they were doing things. A lot of celebrities were, at, were willing to do deals with people. If you, let's say you donate, already donate to, to a cancer charity and this celebrity is really into promoting and supporting cancer charities, maybe they'll sell your product. And if you give 25% to that charity. So there's other ways to interact with people. I think, you know, that the whole act of COVID just changed the whole way people interact with each other, you know, on that level. So what I heard from you, Sarah, was one um, take pinch of salt when assessing uh, people's followers, especially if they're influencers and especially if there are no comments. So do your due diligence uh, with regard to that. Um, you, you mentioned that celebrities, their followers are generally gonna be genuine. Uh, then the second thing is ask around. I took that one, that note, you know, you see if you can understand through the grapevine and, and your network, how other programs or other relationships have worked. And the third thing is be your own star, leverage, whatever you get out of everybody and, and go to town immediately. For having, I worked at L'Oreal for 16 years, uh, working with all sorts of celebrities and models, sometimes therefore celebrities, but then, um, and then the concepts of influencers. The thing that systematically struck me was the challenge of finding the adequation, the, congruency between the values, the, the, the personality, and who you are. So if Joe Schmo with a million followers loves my product, 
but Joe Schmo isn't a an ad- a desirable character. Oh, right. But then and then others who are very comfortable taking two hundred and fifty whatever to to do the post, but they're not really linked up to you. How do you how do you make that due diligence? Where where is the the juice in finding the adequation between who you are, what you stand for, and what they say and what they do and what they stand for? Because it's not always obvious in my understanding. No, it's not always well it's I think you have to decide, well, first of all, you have to know what your values are and be really concrete about that. But secondly, I think it's easy, especially if somebody is, you know, if they're holding up your perfume, for example, and they're in an outfit that you think is sleazy, then, and that's what they promote is perfume, but they don't where, you know, they don't look like Charlize Theron when she's doing one of her Dior commercials, right? And they're looking kind of sleazy and in some, you know, Walmart outfit that doesn't go with your brand, then don't pick that person, right? You're going to have to, you know, own own up to it at that point and look for somebody who is more upscale if that's what you're looking for. And at the same time, if somebody posts videos all the time and they swear and you don't, like swearing or don't think your customer will react well to that, then don't go after that person. So I think, you know, you might Google, you know, top 10, you know, perfume influencers, for example, and all these people come up, well, you can't just be like, Ooh, great. I'm just going to go contact them all. You got to take a look, you know, look at at least 15 or 20 of their posts, go to their website. If they have one, go check out their Facebook page or any other social channels that they have. Maybe they're dancing naked on TikTok. You know, I don't know, right? So you you need to investigate and dive deep so that you're 100% confident that you're not going to offend anyone who does follow you. You only want to go after celebrities or influencers or even magazines, right, that you feel are going to impress your followers and the people who buy from you. When you you have in your repertoire or portfolio of tools a celebrity access blueprint which I took a look at and it struck me that it's really all about hard work uh, as much as the blueprint gives you a nice format to what you what you need to know is why me and why you but you need to then be able to explicit that so that requires actually the groundwork, doing the digging in, checking out. I saw that you like this fragrance. Maybe you like this one. Maybe that's my competitor. So in which case I don't want to do it. And then, and then the, the, the leap and the prayer is with regard to the impact and influence into their community and the crossover and, and sales that they're in come. Yes. Everything has hard work behind it. That's it. That's, that's <laughs> you know, the I truth. think, you know, when I first became an entrepreneur, I just laugh about this now. I kind of thought, oh, I'm going to go work for myself. I'm going to have some long lunches and just like, you know, take my time and do it. You know, when I feel like, are you kidding? I, I coming from the film business where I worked like 70, 80 hours a week um, for most of my career until sort of the end when I was high enough that I didn't have to work 80 hours a week, but maybe I worked 60. I think I worked a (laughs) hundred as an entrepreneur. And I was like, Whoa, this is not what I thought it was going to be. You know, you're up at five and you're, you know, go to bed at midnight and, you know, and you still didn't have enough hours in the day. Right. Yeah, well, I, I'm not going to get into the topic of balance uh, because that yes. I think that's uh, <laughs> so wobbly one. Um, totally. La- yeah, the last question is: you've had uh, tremendous success through COVID, as you were telling me before we went on air. Uh, tell us the secret to your success of how you've done so well thanks to this period. Um, you know, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but my feeling um, is I noticed right away that my I, I run my business basically through Facebook ads is how I get clients and and people to work with me. And my Facebook ads took a total dive the first month. So in April, um, they kept going, but I didn't get any clients. And I was like, whoa, I spent so much money, you know, I mean, a lot of money. And um, so I just shut everything down and thought about 
going back to my original way that I started um, a few years ago when I decided to launch a group coaching program and, and move sort of more, more out of private co coaching and into these groups that I really like doing. Um, and I started doing one-on-one -on -one outreach. And what that's one of the techniques that I was taught was to look for potential clients on Facebook or Instagram and then contact them, ask about their business, see if they would be interested in talking to me. And that's how I got my group coaching off the ground. It's, I think the technical term for it is organic outreach. And, um, and so I sort of went back to those roots and really started to reach out to a lot of people again, one-on-one. -on -one. And I also, and that really helped um, drive the traffic to, to my website and to book calls for me to talk to people about their business. But I also started to do a lot of webinars. I was kind of panicking for people more than myself. And I thought, oh my gosh, all these stores that are closed now don't know how to sell online. Like so many boutiques and small store owners never had a website. Maybe they had a splash page or something, right? Hey, here's our hours, come visit us. But they never had the need for it, but they were all in these immediate panics. And I have thousands and thousands of stores on my list that I use with clients. So I just reached out to all of them and said, hey, I'm offering this free webinar series. If you want to hop on, great. I'm going to show you how to get your website up and running. Um, and I can even help you do that. But I also want to teach you and show you how to offer dropship programs with all of these young designers because it's free for everyone. You just get their photos, put it up on your site, you know, sell the stuff, you get the money, pay them half. Sorry, my dog is barking at my cat. Um, oh. and <laughs> what are you saying? Yeah, um, enough already, shows. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and so I, and then I did a lot of webinars for product-based companies who were panicking because the stores were closed and nobody knew what was going on and really helped them develop these dropship programs, gave them templates for letters. And this is what you say to store buyers. And, you know, and I had all these open coaching calls where people could dive in and talk to me and get help because I thought I have to help these people. Like I lived through 9-11 and even though my handbag business didn't survive at the other end of 2002, I still got through it and knew and learned so much at that point in my career of how to manage a disaster, right? And this was a global disaster. It was way bigger in a sense than 9-11, right? Just, um, but it, it was, I survived that and I wanted to empower women to move forward in that moment. And, you know, and I really, for most of the year, barely had any Facebook ads going. But I think that what happened for me was the people who were really serious about their business knew that this was the time to take advantage of either learning from me, growing with me, you know, and, and getting getting out there and becoming more credible, right? Getting mm. more press, getting more celebrities while everyone else was kind of down, right? While people were, you know, still kind of under the covers, <laughs> right? Because I mean, honestly, for me, when it happened, I was like, oh yeah, China went through this. It's over in eight weeks, we'll be done, right? And because I do a lot of manufacturing there, I have a lot of clients, I know, I knew what was happening over there from the very beginning. And then, you know, when they shut down, I was like, okay, China's sleeping, you know, can't get any answers. And then, you know, I was like, oh, we're going to do the same thing, <laughs> you know, and the whole world will be back up and running, you know, in July. And so I, you know, quickly, obviously didn't realize that wasn't happening, but that is honestly what I thought in the beginning. So I didn't really think it was going to go on for that long. So, so I think that for me, it's been an honor to work with these companies, really showing them how to find strength in scary times <laughs> and, and how to persevere through that, how to use, you know, the things that are showing up, right? Like celebrities and influencers that are working for money instead of, you know, other things that are working for commission, right? Where people are looking for different ways to connect with each other. I think it's actually, opened up way more doors than were there before because everybody was online, right? And you had to figure out, you know, ways to, to make it happen for you that wasn't your, you know, quote unquote norm, right? And I think that that is empowering in itself.
It strikes me as I listen to you that the, the lessons that I'm taking away, one is check out your data. And in your case, it was Facebook ads. Uh, be not afraid to pivot, go to organic search. And, and then the, the second thing is somehow related to entrepreneur and your mission to do that and how you felt the need to do it, not like for business, but just because personally you needed to help these people. Uh, and the third thing, all the same is you had a really solid email address list of all the stores. You had credibility in them. You had uh, the experience, 9-11. And, and, and I'm also thinking that as a woman in the community, there was a sort of a, there's a more willingness to share the imperfections of the business as opposed to the bravado, the perfection of my image, which also women and girls in particular can have as an issue. But at, yeah. at some level is a realness, like shit, I, you know, I could go out of business. And, and that, that, that harsh realness means that we're very earnest in our desire to share. And we're not going to share shit that is going to hurt. We're going to really mm-hmm. try to together as a team, I'm sure that these Zooms, they weren't just your words. People were also participating and, and collaborating and you coalesce that. And then that is the storm that creates your liftoff. Sarah, um, loved it. Thank you so much. There are lots of great little insights. And um, yeah, and I still feel like I got to talk to Jennifer. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> Uh, how can anyone, yeah, exactly, get, get in touch with you, uh, follow what you're up to, of course, use your services, please. Sure. Um, you can find out everything you ever wanted to know about me on my website at sarahshawconsulting.com. And you, or you can go to entrepreneur.com and it'll forward. <laughs> um, and if you have a product-based company, you want to talk to me, there's a big book now and you can book a call with me. If you're interested in getting products to celebrities, there'll be a pop-up where you can enter your email and get a copy of my blueprint, which will give you some info on how to get started with that. And uh, would love to connect with you. So feel free. Many, many thanks, Sarah. Carry on, as they say. Yes, you too. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for having listened to this episode of the Minter Dialogue podcast. If you like the show and would like to support me, please consider a donation on patreon.com forward slash Minterdial. You can also subscribe on your favorite podcast service. And as ever, rating and reviews are the real currency for podcasts. You'll find the show notes with over 2,000 and more blog posts on Minterdial.com. Check out my documentary film and four books, including my last one, You Lead, How Being Yourself Makes You a Better Leader. And to finish, here's a song I wrote with Stephanie Singer, A Convinced Man.
free trust in my reason and let me show you why i'm a convinced man practicing my lines i'm a convinced man here in these confines a convinced man in the arms of a woman i'm a convinced man bit to the test I'm a convinced man I'm ready for an arrest I'm a convinced man In the arms of a woman best-known investor and Wall Street expert Warren Buffett once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls-Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.